I'd like you please to open your Bible again in 2 Peter and the chapter 1. We're coming back this evening to these closing verses. As I indicated this morning, there in the heart of verse 19, we find that most striking and significant phrase, which I suggested to you would indeed supply a good biblical title for our study today. The Bible is a light that shineth in a dark place. It is so, of course, because of its divine origin. That was our subject this morning. It is a spirit-inspired word. It is the book of divine revelation. It is the word of God. Did you notice in our reading from 1 Peter chapter 1 that Peter twice gives it that designation? It is the word of God. And you see that divine authorship stamps this book with divine authority. May I share just this little word of testimony? It's not in the notes. 59 years ago, I was persuaded to attend for the first time a free Presbyterian church service. It was the old Ravenhill Church. And Dr. Paisley was the minister. And I can say to you, here I was, an ungodly young man, as worldly-minded as any young man you could have met, and yet as dark as night. And on that first occasion, what came home to me so powerfully was the fact even though I didn't comprehend it, of course, but it was the fact that the preacher in the pulpit preached with a note of divine authority. It was a message that had thus saith the Lord attached to it. And you know, that was the first thing that awakened me and spoke to me. You see, I say again to you, the divine authorship of this book stamps it with divine authority. Of course, in 2 Peter chapter 1, there's a second important thing that Peter sets before us here. It's not only a spirit-inspired book, but this is a sure word. And I want just to handle that tonight with you at this point. Notice those opening words of verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. This book is a sure word. Now you'll notice it certainly is in contrast to what is mentioned by Peter in the verse 16. Notice those opening words. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. 
when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. What a contrast to those words, cunningly devised fables. No, this book is a sure word. Now, I have a point to make. It's important that I make it just in passing. In all that Peter writes here, it is the certainty of the truth with reference to the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ that Peter is seeking to establish. But come back to those words in verse 19. We need to be careful not to misunderstand these words in their context. And that is often the case. So we need to understand exactly what it is that Peter is saying here. And I do want you to follow along with me, please. Look at verses 16 through to 18. And I'm not going to read them again. Peter there speaks of the glorious experience that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration, of what he had seen, of what he had heard, namely the glory of Christ and the voice of the Father from heaven. Now, having said that, when we come to those words, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Let me say to you, Peter is not suggesting that the Bible is more sure than that. And that's important. That's vital to understand. Why do I say that? Because you see that experience on the Mount of Transfiguration that Peter speaks of is part and parcel of the apostolic witness and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that our faith is founded upon the reality and the certainty of that apostolic witness. Now let me just say, you'll find that again and again in the letters of the New Testament, but we're close to it. Just turn over a page or two in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. This is just one place that you could see this clearly. Look at 1 John chapter 1 with me and the opening verses. And notice what John is saying. 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning. Now notice it. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, which was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. Here's the purpose. Here's the purpose of that apostolic witness that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 
Now, if you turn quickly back to Ephesians chapter 2, you see it's in that light that we understand this statement in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Ephesians 2 and verse 20. And you'll notice the words, and are built upon the foundation. Now notice this. Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. But you see, our faith is based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that apostolic witness. So that's very, very important to grasp. You see, in verse 19, come back to 2 Peter now, chapter 1. In verse 19, Peter turns from the apostolic witness to the prophetic witness. Now, it is interesting that the we in verse 18 is emphatic in the Bible. And of course, the undoubted reference is to Peter, James, and John. We, Peter, James, and John, we three, we saw, we heard those things. But when you come to the first 19, that's not the case because Peter is now addressing all of the saints, you and me. This is the abiding possession of all the saints, this word of prophecy, which is, of course, a fuller and more explicit testimony to the glory of Christ. We need to grasp that context, but then we have to answer the question, don't we, tonight? What exactly do we understand by the words at the beginning of verse 19? We have also a more sure word of prophecy. How do you understand them then? You know, this is wonderful, men and women. Young people, this is wonderful. It literally reads like this. The prophetic word made more sure. That's how it literally reads. The prophetic word made more sure. In what sense? And surely the answer is, it is made more sure in that, in all the history of the Lord Jesus, there had been manifestly seen again and again and again the fulfillment of all those messianic prophecies. Now, I do not often make quotes of this length, especially in Sunday services. I know this is a Bible week, but I do want to make two quotes now. First of all, an old Scottish expositor of the 19th century called the Reverend John Brown, the most judicious of expositors, highly recommend all of his books to you. C.H. Spurgeon called him a Puritan born out of time. Listen to his words. The prophetic word was more confirmed to the apostles than it had been to those who lived before the incarnation. The minute conformity between what was predicted of the Messiah and what actually took place in reference to Jesus is so extensive that a history of our Lord's life 
might without much difficulty be written in the language of the Old Testament prophets. That's the point I'm making. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, I highly recommend his writings to you. And I say to young people, if you really want to get to grips with a book like Ephesians, now that's my favorite, so I've mentioned it. But what a rich letter it is. I recommend to you, read his exposition. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is the word of prophecy itself that has been made more sure. It is not that it is more sure than something else, but that in itself has been made more sure because of its fulfillment and because of its substantiation. And what a substantiation it is. This is something that you young people really should seek to read about and understand. The Old Testament written over, what, approximately a thousand years. It contains some 300 references to Jesus Christ. And among them at least 60 major prophecies. And they have all been fulfilled. I'm saying this especially to the young people because they didn't teach this when I was at school. But the suggestion that this is mere coincidence is ruled out as another impossibility by the modern science of probability. Now that mightn't mean too much to some of you. But I say that's a mighty thing. And if you young people want to read, get those two volumes, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And you'll find that opened up wonderfully there. Thomas Adams, the Puritan, said, Nothing was done by Christ which was not foretold by the prophets. Nothing was foretold by the prophets which was not done by Christ. It's a prophetic word made more sure. And I say again to you what a substantiation it is. You see, you must never doubt the absolute truthfulness and utter trustworthiness of the scriptures. This is God's book. Never lose sight of that, young people. No matter what you may be taught in school, college, no matter what you may see in the media, no matter what is highlighted in one way or another, never lose sight of that. The Son of God God the Son incarnate said, the scripture cannot be broken. Cannot be broken. Not one jot or tittle shall pass away till all be fulfilled. The Bible is a sure word. And oh, you see, if you're unsaved tonight, I can give you so many sure, sure words from this book. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out my salvation promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the night that I was saved, I stepped out on that promise. 
Dr. Peasley put such stress upon the fact that this was a sheer and certain promise of God. Oh, that you would step out in gospel promises tonight and come to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to know him as your Savior. So this book is a spirit-inspired word. It's a sheer word, and that brings me in verse 19 to that final point. It's a shining word. It's taken me a little while to get there, hasn't it? But it is as a light that shineth in a dark place. Isn't there two things simply there? We could give it the title, The Predicament of the World, The Plight of the World. It's a dark place. Strikingly, the adjective is only found here in our Bible. A dark place. And it's a word that is associated with squalor. Murky. Dirty. Some would say to us, it conjures up the picture of a dark, dismal swamp. Or indeed a dark and foul cellar. That's just the strength of the word. The history of our race began in a lovely garden. The paradise of God. Here we are reminded what sin turned it into. A dark and gloomy and squalid place. Spiritually and morally, the world lies in the darkness, depravity, misery and despair of sin. And men and women are sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. This world is a dark place. Do I really need to labor that point today? And what is the purpose of the word? It's a light that shineth in the dark place. You see, the Bible is the one and only light which can banish the darkness and give the light of life. How fatal that is. You notice our government floundering around with the social ills of our day, setting up committees, setting up this and that to try and address these problems. But the only light on those problems is in this book. It is the Bible alone that tells us the truth about ourselves. Have you learned it? How plainly this book tells us that we are poor, ruined, lost, guilty sinners. That we're in the broad road to hell's destruction. That we're in darkness. And we need to be ushered into God's marvelous light. Has the Bible taught you about the plague of your own heart? Made you conscious of your sinful and guilty state before a holy God. And of course, 
It's the Bible alone that sheds light upon the world in which we live. If you want a true diagnosis of those things, it's here. And there is no light but the light of God's truth. That's a vital thing to remember today. Apostate religion would tell us we have to understand Hinduism, Islam. We have to learn from heathen religions spawned by hell to darken and deceive and damn the souls of millions. I tell you again, men and women, the only light is the light of God's holy truth. The Bible is a light that shines in a dark place. If you visit London, go to the National Portrait Gallery. There you will see that very famous and magnificent painting of Queen Victoria presenting a Bible to an African prince. It has the equally famous caption, Tell the prince that this is the secret of England's greatness. You know the extent to which the word of God over the centuries was woven into the fabric of our national life was still so evident in the recent coronation. But alas, what a, to what a dreadful extent our nation has departed from God and his truth. And the consequences are plain to see. There's that ever-deepening spiritual darkness. There are no moral absolutes today. The widespread embracing and promoting of sodomy, even from the mother of parliaments. What moral confusion transgenderism has engendered You see the leader of the opposition in the House of Parliament unable to answer the question, what is a woman? When midwives helping women to give birth are told you cannot refer to them as mothers. When a man who has been giving blood for so many, many years is refused to give blood as a blood donor. Why? Because he refused to answer the question, are you pregnant? You all know it. We tend to say the world's turned upside down. Bible's plain. Male and female created he them. That's the words of the Son of God. Male and female created he them. And to what an extent the social fabric of our society is unraveling. You know, I was going to turn it up, but I, I'm looking at my little watch. You know, all the characteristics of a degenerate age are listed in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And they're increasingly prevalent all around us. You could go down the list. You see that today. You see that today. That's in our society today. 
Now in view of all this, I want to remind you what is the supreme, sacred, and solemn responsibility of the church of God, and indeed of every child of God. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the verse 15. In a moment, we'll just read the words. But I want to say to you, this is one of the most deeply significant designations of God's church in your Bible. That needs to be said. Verse 15, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, and here it is, the pillar and ground of the truth. Underline it. The designation of the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now that deserves a series of messages. It's a series I did some many, many years ago in Australia. So let me summarize some of the things that are taught from the figures employed by the Holy Ghost here. It is the church that upholds the truth before the world. It is the church that gives prominence and honor to the truth. It is the church that is the stay and support of the truth. It is the church that is to adorn the truth before men, the pillar and ground of the truth. And that's the church's primary function. Indeed, all else must be subservient to this. And nothing must be allowed to weaken the church's resolve to be the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you know the fact of the matter is that we live in a world that is getting to the place where they no longer believe in the truth about anything. That expression... I'm trying to remember the name of that American woman who's one of the most successful broadcasters in the world. Interviewed Harry and Megan. You ever notice? That's your truth. This is my truth. That's the day we live in. This weakening of the concept that there is such a thing as absolute truth is even affecting the evangelical church today. You know, there is a threefold aspect of the church's witness to the truth. First of all, to define it. Again, what a subject. To defend it, and I'm glad I'm in the Free Presbyterian Church that has that testimony of defending the truth. But of course, in our context tonight, declare it. Declare it. Now, of course, you could go on and preach in all of this, which I can't do. But 2 Timothy 4 and 2, Paul said, preach the word. Preach the word. What a tragedy today. That within the evangelical church, the primacy of preaching has been eclipsed. I heard a preacher in Australia. I wasn't in the meeting. 
I was outside the meeting. And strange to say, it's the only time in my life in debating that preacher that I quoted the Bible that I shook off the dust of my feet and I would no longer cast pearls of truth to a swine. That's what I said to the preacher that night when he came out of the tent. But that's another story. Oh, but they were having all this country and western music. You could move around in the meeting. You could go down, get yourself a coffee, get yourself a scone, go back to your seat. And the preacher got up and he said, Oh, we're having such a time tonight. I'm not going to do any preaching. Heard it with my own ears. No preaching. Then he heard of the controversy concerning me outside the tent. And that's another story. But that's the day in which we live. Entertainment has replaced exposition. How many indeed will not endure sound doctrine today? Alas, we've been losing young people to these works that have no scriptural government to them. And when I look up on the internet to try and understand exactly what they believe, well, you'll not be finding it. But when you just consider so many of these works, I'm not saying it of them all, but I'll sum it up like this, anything goes. I saw it in Australia. But that's the day that we're living in. It is the primary task and duty and solemn responsibility of the church to be the pillar and the ground of the truth and to preach the word. And we need to pray the Lord in mercy to raise up preachers of the word who will preach with the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, diffusing the light of God's truth in our day. I trust you pray for the college. I trust you pray for the lecturers in the college. I trust you pray for the young men. I trust above all that you will pray that from our college will be thrust out young men who are preachers of the word and able ministers of the New Testament. And that's a growing need. So many of our men will retire just in a few years. And pulpits will be vacant more than they are now. I suggest to you this is a matter that needs immediate attention and prayer. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. I mentioned not only of the church of God, but of every Christian. Because if there's the public ministry of the word, there's the personal ministry of the Christian. And I believe it's really best summed up here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 Indeed, it would be good to read the first 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. There it is. There's the personal ministry of the Christian. First of all, there is a life to be lived. 
to give weight to the testimony that we bear. But we have this task as Christians to be setting forth when opportunity affords itself. We're to be holding forth the word of life. One of the greatest illustrations of that is in Acts chapter 8 when God shook the church with the rough hand of persecution and we read, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. And yet in the context, it was not the apostles. Because they remained in Jerusalem where the fire was burning, where the persecution was centered. No, the context says men and women were scattered abroad. And they went everywhere preaching the word. You know, in this day and age in which we live, we must take every opportunity to set before men and women and do not these subjects come up even ungodly people sometimes make reference to the nonsense that's going on because of transgenderism isn't that a golden opportunity to say well you know the Bible simply says the son of God says male and female created he them we need to get back to the Bible That was a slogan in the 60s when I was saved. There was a movement called Back to the Bible. And oh, the power of the Word of God to banish darkness. Go to Geneva. See the monument to the Reformation, the Great Wall. There you can see the heroes of the Reformation. There's Calvin, Farrell, etc. But what's the motto? Plain to be seen after darkness and light. And you and I tonight have no true and proper conception of the darkness of medieval Europe. That's something we can read about, but I tell you we cannot have a true and proper conception of it. But listen. After that darkness came light. Martin Luther said, I did nothing. The word of God did everything. Let me close by asking the question, what is the message that lies at the heart of the divine volume? What is the ultimate purpose of this Bible that shines as a light in a dark place? Well, as we read there in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we read just at the beginning of this meeting, it is salvation through the person and work of God's beloved and incarnate Son. It's salvation. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 of which salvation the prophets. That's in the first 10. May I ask again, Has the light of the glorious gospel shone into your heart? You know, in that very chapter, and that's the reason why I read the concluding verses, Peter tells us that this book is a living book. And it is, you'll notice in verse 23, it is the source of spiritual life. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Have you had that experience? 
Have you been so born again? And of course, when you come on in the teaching of Peter there in the second chapter and in the first two of that chapter, Peter not only tells us that this blessed book is the source of spiritual life, it's the sustenance of spiritual life. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You see, as William Gurnall the Puritan said, the Christian is bred by the word and he must be fed by it. Is it true of you tonight? Are you a Bible-believing Christian? As a young man, I'd never heard such a thing. But are you a Bible-believing Christian? You say, yes, preacher, thank God for the day and hour that my sin-blinded eyes were opened. I had a saving look to the Christ of Calvary. I was ushered out of darkness. And every day I'm turning to this book. Is it true of you? This blessed book of God this week that's gone, did it lie on opened in your home? To me, that's a clear evidence that you must not be a Christian. That you're yet a stranger to grace and to God. All oh, the Bible is a light that shineth in a dark place. Do you know that's suggestive of so many things? Because dark days come to us all. Days of trouble and trial. Perplexing providences. Days of sickness and sorrow. The day of death. Passing through the valley. But I say to you, no matter what dark place in the providence of God we are ever called upon to enter in this book is a light that shineth in a dark place. It makes all the difference. Oh, tell me, do you know the Christ of this book? Is this book, as we were saying this morning, a precious volume to you? Is it your delight daily to search its pages and to see something more of the wondrous grace of God revealed therein? The Bible is a light that shineth in a dark place. How much we need to pray God to visit us with days of reformation and revival. This is a privileged place, this province, of all of the detention that we lament. But we need to pray that God would make the light burn and burn here in Ulster that it would provide light for the rest of this kingdom. Even to Europe they would hear what God Almighty has done in visiting his people, in vindicating his truth, in spreading the gospel of his son. Oh, I trust God will burden us in this day and generation to seek his face for such a visitation of heaven. The Bible is a light. I trust you'll remember these words that shine in a dark place. May God bless his word to every heart tonight. We're going to turn to the hymn number 261. As has been indicated, there is supper for everyone tonight, so you do have that warm invitation.
to stay and fellowship with us. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart tonight, if you have been made to realize that you're not a Christian, you're not yet saved, and you would like to be counseled, you would like to speak to me about any of the matters that I have dealt with this day, please approach us. I have never been in the business of twisting arms, coercing, but if I am your servant in the gospel for Christ's sake, and if I can help you, well, there's going to be this time. There's plenty of facilities here where we can sit together and open the book and read and pray. I needed so much help the night I was converted. So if you would like to come to Christ and you need help, please approach us. Please approach us. You'll know why I've chosen this hymn when you come to the second verse, 261. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. 261 will be standing.